the mood of the sermon has to be guided by the mood of the passage. And today, we're looking at a very, very uh, sad uh, part of the Bible. And I think part of the problem is as we read it, we don't realize just how sad it is. Now, I think that as we look at this passage, um, if you will notice over the last few weeks, right, that there's actually been a cycle of sin. Okay, it starts off really well, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God made a perfect place, paradise, made a, a place for Adam and Eve to, to live in. Uh, so, if you notice up here, right, there's been a cycle, and things are getting worse and worse. It's like there's picking up speed, picking up power, right? So there was Adam and Eve, and they coveted what God had. In fact, they wanted to be like God. They didn't want God to be ruler over them anymore. But if that wasn't bad enough, then after they were booted out of the Garden of Eden, uh, Cain killed his brother, um, uh, um, uh, what's Cain? Uh, Abel, right? Okay, and that was bad because a murder comes into the world. And then Cain's son Lamech is even worse than his father because he not only murders people but he's very proud of murdering people. And he just doesn't murder one person, he murders many people, right? And he mocks God on top of that. Because God said, if anybody kills Cain, I will avenge him seven, seven times. And then uh, Lamak said, I don't need God to avenge my, me, I avenge myself 77 times. Right, so here we see that actually things are getting bad to worse, where Adam and Eve didn't want God to rule over them. And what happens now is that actually by the time we come to Genesis chapter 5, we see that the rebellion against God is getting worse and worse and worse. And relationship between mankind and relationship between man and God seems to be deteriorating. Right, So things are getting worse and worse. So now we come <clears throat> to the genealogy, and I think uh, we must say Minkit did a good job reading it, right? Because, you know, it's kind of like boring, right? Okay, And actually, it's quite tempting for us when you read the Bible for yourself to, to just ignore it. You, you come to all these names, you come to all these numbers, and you sort of think, what's the point of reading it, right? Let's get to something more important and relevant that, that I can actually get some spiritual feeding from. But actually, if you look up here, the next slide, right, you'll see that actually there's a pattern in Genesis chapter 5 onwards. And the genealogy actually creates a structure to what we're reading. Okay, so there's a point to the genealogy. It's not like, you know, the writer said, ah, I've got some spare parchment paper. Let's fill it up with all these names, right? Because i got nothing much to say anyway, okay? Um, no, there's a structure to it. There's a reason to it. And we need to sort of follow the reason to see what God is really saying. Now, if you look with me to Genesis chapter 5, you'll see there's a pattern, okay? Don't worry about how long they live, okay? We'll talk about that some other time. But there's a pattern. The pattern here is very, very clear. If you, if you just step back and have a look at it, it's always A, live X number of years, and then he began, he became the father of B, okay? And after he became the father of B, A lived uh, X number of years, and then he had other sons and daughters, and altogether he lived how many number of years, and then he died. And, and you'll notice that pattern is the same over and over again, right? That's what the Bible says. And I think the point that we're trying to get out of this is, 
every generation after uh, uh, Adam and Eve, they all end up dying. And I think that's the cycle that we're meant to see from this genealogy, right? It's, it's where the pervasive effect and the consequences of sin are seen in every generation after Adam and Eve. They live for X number of years, they had this particular child who's an important child, then their other children, they lived X number of years, but then they all died. I think this is very important because if you look at the next slide, right? Because God had said very clearly, if you remember a few weeks ago, to Adam and Eve, you can have everything. Everything is yours. You can have the whole world, right? Except don't eat from this tree. Because if you eat from this tree, what will happen? You will die. But remember, the serpent said, you will surely not die. But they all end up dying. And if you remember the next slide, <coughs> that was part of the curse, right? The consequence was, because they ate from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they died. Now, I think this is very important because if you go to Sydney, what's unique about Sydney, right? You see the Sydney Opera House. You go to New York, you see the Statue of Liberty. You go to Petronas in KL, right? You see Petronas Tower. You come to Singapore, you see the MBS or whatever, right? But what is not unique in this world is that in every place that we go to, there are always uh, crematoriums and there are always uh, graves, right? We never go see that because it's not unique. Right? I mean, there's no unique graveyard in the world, right? It's like every graveyard, there's no unique crematorium because in every city, in every place, everywhere, people die. Now, why do people die? The reason that people die is because of sin, right? It is sin, as it spreads around the world, is reflected in how men and women continue to die. And I think that's why, as we read Genesis chapter 5, it is a very depressing thing, because every generation from Adam and Eve, they all end up dying. They have a problem, a terminal problem, death. And as we read chapter 6, the, the story becomes even more depressing. Because even though they have this problem of death, what happens? We see that sin is getting even worse. So look at what it says there in chapter 6, verse 1. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and the, they married any of them, they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were heroes of all men of renown. Now obviously, the question we have to ask ourselves is, who are these fellows called the sons of God? Who are these people called the Nephilim? And what are they doing that seems so so wrong, right? Well, um, the language gives us a bit of an idea. If you, if you look up here on this slide, right? Um, make it. You see that uh, in Genesis um, chapter 1, uh, chapter, chapter um, uh, 3, when there was original sin, right? If you look up here on the slide, look at the language here. Okay, look up here on the slide. The woman saw that the tree was good for food 
and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took the fruit, and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband of her, and she ate. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, which we just read, in the NASB, these are the literal words, okay? NASB is a very literal translation, New American Standard Bible, right? So when the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were good or beautiful, they took wives for themselves, whoever they chose. That gives us a clue that the sons of God actually took something which they were not meant to take. Now why is that? Uh, were these sons of God angels? Or were they the sons of the line of Seth? We don't really know. But all we know is that God saw them taking something which they were not supposed to take. right? And it was a sexual thing. The problem in chapter 6 verse 1 to verse 4 seems to be a sexual one. They were marrying or taking into marriage people who they were not supposed to marry. We don't know why. Were they, were they the godly line of Seth? Were they angels? We don't know what it really means. But whatever it was, there was a sexual element to it. And if you actually look at the words carefully, when they took wives, whomever they chose, the idea here is that they actually married more than one person. More than one person. So there were two sins here. One is they were marrying people or having sex with people which they were not meant to have sex with. And two, they were having many, many multiple partners or marrying many, many people which they were not supposed to. Because in Genesis chapter 1, they were only meant to marry one flesh, man and woman. Lamech had two wives. Now in chapter 6, we see that these sons of God have many, many wives. So we see the situation deteriorating, right? People are having many, many wives, and they're having sex, and they're marrying uh, people which they're not supposed to marry. Now how did this make God feel when he looked on this uh, sin? The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Now, you know, when you go to the Olympics, right, uh, the motto of the Olympics is what? Higher, faster, stronger, right? But when you actually look at this passage, it seems as if the motto of mankind, right, is to be more and more sinful. Right, you, you look at what it says there in verse 5, and you think, how much worse can mankind become? The, 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 the Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all of the time. Right? Man was growing faster, stronger, higher in sin. Everything they were thinking about was sinful. They were thinking of sin all the time. And it was actually shown in everything that they did. And it made God, it says there, grieved, right? Really grieved his heart. Now this word here, grieved, is a very, very powerful word. It is the same word that is used when um, the brothers of this woman, uh, Dina, in Gina, uh, Genesis chapter 34, verse 7, was raped. Okay? 
It's the same word that is used when King David heard that his favorite son was killed in 2 Samuel chapter 19. It's the same word that is used when a wife was deserted by her husband in Isaiah chapter 54. Okay, so that's the sort of pain that God felt. It's the sort of feeling where a brother hears that his sister was raped. It's the feeling in the heart where a father hears that the son was killed. It's the pain in the heart where a wife learns that the husband has deserted her. So God was really, really grieved because of man's sin. Mankind's sin all the time. And how it was destroying the world. So I remember this true story <clears throat> of how in Australia, uh, it, was, it was said of how there was this father and, 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 and uh, the, the mother, and they had a child. And what happened was they actually uh, prepared a room for their baby, okay? And they painted the room, they got a cot for the room, they put carpet in the room. And I, I, I mean, this doesn't happen in Singapore, but it happens in Sydney. In, in Sydney, people get drunk, right? And when they get drunk, they do really uh, silly things. I remember I was with my friend who got drunk, and he decided to wipe his pizza on this guy's car for no reason, right? And I thought... What's your problem, right? And he thought it was really funny, and I thought it wasn't. I, I, it's not even my car, and I didn't think it was very funny. I said, what's, what's, what's wrong with you? Anyway, so, this guy with the father they, and the mother, they, 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 they made this room for the baby, and then they put the baby inside. And one day, someone got drunk, and threw a stone through the window, and, 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 and basically broke the window, and there was glass everywhere. And this man was very, very upset, and he called the police, and said, you know, look at what someone did. Someone destroyed this room that I made, this really good and perfect room that I made for my baby. Right? Can you catch the person that did it? And then the police said, we'll try, we'll try, right? So a few weeks went by, they repaired the window, everything was fixed. Again, everything was made really nicely. And again, one Friday night, some people got drunk. And again, someone vandalized and broke the, the glass. And this man, I remember, I heard, was very angry at the police. And he was he shouted at the police, said, why can't you do something about it? And I think that's exactly the feeling, right, that God had. Right, if you were the father or the mother in that house with that room prepared for the baby and someone vandalized your house or threw a, a stone through the window, that's the way you would feel, right? Because someone, through their sin, was destroying this perfect place that you made. And I think that's the picture that we see here and that's the feeling that God had. Because God had made this perfect place and what did mankind do? do? Adam and Eve, they wanted to be like God. Okay, that's so, I mean, we think that's not so bad. But then you see that as, as, as mankind becomes more and more sinful, like they're destroying the whole earth. They're having sexual relations with anybody they want. They're marrying more and more people. They're violent. They're having murder. And it pains God. So what's God going to do about it? Well, he's like that man, isn't it, who, who was shouting the police, saying to the police, why don't you do something about it? Well, God, God is able to do something about it. And in verse 7 it says, So the Lord said, 
I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Now you can sort of understand why God would want to, to do this, isn't it? Because he feels that his creation is so corrupted and so marred that there is no more future for them. So he wants to bring judgment on them. It's a bit like um, this book I read uh, by this guy called John Grisham. I don't know whether you heard of him. He's a very good writer. And he wrote this book called The Chamber, right? And, and, and it's a very interesting book. And I remember reading it about how... Uh, this girl had seen her father, she was in the tree playing, and she saw her father uh, killing a black man in cold blood. And how, again, saw her father mistreating her mother, right? And it really affected her. And at the end of the book, I mean, if you were too late, if you read the book, eh, she decides to burn the house down because the house was a reminder of all the bad things that happened in the house, right, which she saw. And I think that that's the sort of thing that's happening here. See, God looks on the earth. God looks at his creation. God looks at man. God looks at woman. And it grieves him, the sin that is happening. And God decides to burn it all down, or this time flood it all out, and start again. Now, I think this is a very, very important principle to understand, isn't it? Because something, sometimes we think that God is just like this um, uh, imp, like this cold-hearted judge in heaven, looking down at people and uh, you know, gleefully picking on us for you know, enjoying ourselves, right? But actually when we see Genesis chapter 5 and 6, we see the effects of sin and how actually it hurts God and pains God and grieves God and actually, when God judges the world, it is not with a joyfulness, right? Yeah, I can go and judge them all now. But rather, He judges them with great pain and heaviness in His heart. But then in verse, um, chapter 6, uh, verse 9 onwards, we see that actually <coughs> God doesn't uh, just judge the world and say, okay, forget about it, right? Uh, it's, it's a bad experiment, right? Okay, complete disaster. Uh, bad idea, la. we won't create man anymore. Okay, but actually, in verse eight onwards, we see that God is still gracious, right? And this is the cycle that we saw earlier on. Every time God brings judgment, there is also grace, right? Remember, He cast out Adam and Eve from the garden. He gave them clothes. He judged Cain, but He put a mark on him so that he wouldn't be murdered. Here. He brings judgment on the whole world, but yet he saves one man and he saves the animals, right? To start over again. Now, I think the point of us reading this passage is not to wonder, hey, how big's the ark, right? Uh, how long is it? How did he feed the animals? You know, how did he stop the lions from attacking the giraffes and, you know, things like that, right? That's not the point, okay? The point that's trying to be made here is, that God was gracious. He could have eliminated everybody, but He chose to start again with the family of Noah. Now, as we look at this story, like I said before, it's a very, very serious and sad 
part of history, isn't it? Because sin leads to pain in God's heart. And the pain of God leads to judgment, but He is still gracious. Now, as I read this passage, I can't help but feel that the world that we live in today is like the world of Genesis chapter 5 and 6. Right, when you look at the world today, is not the world like Genesis 6, where it says, when God saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all the time, God regretted that He had made the human beings on the earth. See, it's not the world like that today, where there is senseless violence, where there is injustice, where a great deal of the world lives in poverty, but yet there are many, many people who have total, you know, uh, unbelievable wealth, but are unwilling to share it, uh, where people exploit the environment for their own use without concern for what other people are affected by it, where it seems like you look in almost any part of the world, right? Uh, there seems to be disorder, there seems to be corruption. I'm sure that if we were to look at it from God's perspective, and He can, and this is only on the surface, right? Imagine if we had like the glasses of God and you can see into the hearts of people, how it must really uh, grieve God. And because of that, we must know that if God is like that, and this is the way He feels about sin, then He, he must bring judgment again, right? To to all um, the, the sin in the world. So if you look up here in 2 Peter, right? Next slide. Uh, it says here, uh, and it brings us back to the idea of um, the flood, right? First of all, you must understand the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They say, hey, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water by water. By these waters also, the world of the time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth were reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the judge destruction of ungodly men. Now, <coughs> this passage actually tells us that the flood is a real event. And the flood actually tells us that the judgment of God is a real thing in the face of sin. And the people today have not learned the lesson of the people in the past. Where the people in the past thought that, well, I can keep sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning, sinning, and God's not going to do anything about it. But actually, God will do something about it because we are actually storing up for ourselves judgment by God. But this time, He won't bring us uh, judgment by flood. He will bring us judgment by fire, and it will be once and for all. You know, I was reading this book and it was really interesting. It says that actually the world that we live in is increasingly becoming more secular and increasingly anti-God. 
And part of the reason is because mankind wants to see him and herself as purely material beings. Okay, that's, that's part of why mankind keeps going back to Darwinism and evolution, because it just wants to see us as material beings. Where if we are material beings, then when you die, that's it. Problem is, the Bible says, actually, we are not just material, right? Because we are actually made and created by God. And even after death, there will be judgment. And what it means is, all the violence and lust and lies, evil, hatred, pride, exploitation and destruction, God is going to judge. You see, we are not just material beings. right? We are more than material beings. Death is not some sort of emancipation or liberation. Death means we have to face judgment. If we don't die, God still will bring judgment on sin because it pains Him so much. And the answer, therefore, is that we, if we know what God is like and how pained God is by our sin, then we need to be like Noah and to walk with God. right? So again, if you look at 2 Peter, 2 Peter brings us a lot to these ideas. right? He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. You see, if you know what God is like, and if you know He's going to judge, then you need to change the way that you live. If you know that your sins pain God so much, right, in a very real way, right, in an internal way, then surely we need to live in a way that doesn't provoke God to anger. You know, again, in our world we live in, part of the reason why we want to deny uh, God is because we don't want to change our behavior. You know, if you think about it, right, we need to change our behavior based on the truth. But the problem is, in the world we live in today, People don't want to change their behavior, so they try to change the truth about God. Okay, so they try to deny that God is real. They try to deny that judgment is coming, so that I don't have to change my behavior. But if we learn from this passage that God is real, and how He is so pained by our sin, and that His pain leads to our judgment, then it must change our behavior radically, right? Because you'll be silly to not change your behavior if you know that your behavior leads to this outcome. You see, it's a bit like smoking, right? In a way, you know, you can put all the label on the packaging, you can see all the, you know, the horrible pictures and everything. If you know this is the outcome of your action, then you should change your actions so that those outcomes do not come true. But the problem is we live in a world today which is just the opposite. Instead of trying to change behavior, so it doesn't lead to the outcome, it tries to keep doing the same things over and over again and say that the outcomes will not be real. It's like smoking and saying, I will not get cancer. Right? The more I smoke, the healthier I am. But that's silly, right? Because the Bible is so clear that God is real. God is pained by sin. 
and God will judge sin. But lastly, if you look here in this passage, the answer is not just changing our behavior, but trusting in God's grace. See, I want you to look at the genealogy very carefully. And something strange happens, right? Because the pattern uh, is broken in this person called Enoch in chapter 5, verse 21, right? Because you notice, the pattern is always, this person lives so long, this person lives so long, he had a, ba- a child, then he lives a number of years, and he died, right? But look what happened in chapter 5, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Melthuzah, Selah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years, and other sons and daughters, all together, Enoch lived a total of 365 years, but then he didn't die. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. Right? What a funny thing. Now, why did Enoch not die? It seems to be because he walked faithfully before God. And also, if you notice here, um, something strange happens. Uh, again, you you need to actually look at it at the big picture. So get a helicopter and go up a bit higher, right? Uh, Enoch was actually the seventh in that line, right? So you count all the numbers: Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mihalel, Jared, and then number seven was Enoch. And we always know in the Bible that Enoch is uh, sorry, seven is a very um, significant number in the Bible, right? So why is it this person, the number seven here, you know, walks faithfully to God, but he doesn't die? I think he's trying to symbolize to us how as we walk faithfully to God, with God, God will be able to actually rescue us from death. And we see that in a sense through the person of Noah, right? Because Noah was told to put his faith in God and to build this great ark and that God would save him. Now for ourselves, again, if you come back to 2 Peter, if you look up here, right? (coughs) It says there, uh, we read this part already. So then, dear friends, as you are looking forward to Judgment Day, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with, with God and with Jesus. You see, the way we are saved is not to build an ark, right? It's not like, you know, okay, tomorrow, guys, we've got to all start planning to build this big ark, okay? Uh, because if, 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 if God doesn't destroy by flood, then what's the point, right? You'll be here and you, your, 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 your ark's not going to save you from fire, right? Okay, it's like, it just doesn't work that way. So what saves us from the fire of God's judgment? It's not going to be another ark. It's going to be found at the cross of Jesus Christ because that's where the fire of God's judgment has already burned and it's already been paid for. So where do we find our safety? Not the ark of Noah, but at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where we find our safety. We need to walk faithfully with God and find our safety in Jesus Christ. Now, you know, if you know the future, you need to use the information well, right? I know a very sad story. My dad was telling me of his his friend's son or something who who was given a lot of money by his father, but then the the son 
decided to use all the money and borrow it and do all this speculative investment and then in the end he lost all the money he lost the house he lost his car and then his wife left him which is a very sad thing right and and, and the thing you see if he had known the future and he'd known what to do then he said okay I wouldn't have invested in this I would have invested in something else right well see I mean unfortunately for my dad's friend's son he didn't know the future but actually, by looking at the past, the Bible tells us we know the future. Sin in the past pained God a lot. Like someone's son dying, you know, someone's sister being raped, like someone's husband deserting them. That's how much it pained God, sin. And God judged the world. If you look at the world today, the world is full of sin. It's no different to what we read here. I mean, you just look at the internet, right? It's full of sin. God does the same thing. He has not changed. He will, he's pained by these things and he has promised he will judge all these things. So if you know what's going to happen in the future, then we should prepare for it, right? We must change our behavior based on what you know is going to happen. You must walk faithfully in God. You must find safety at the cross. And only there uh, will you be able to be prepared uh, for the judgment to come. Okay, any questions about this very, I guess, heavy and very quite... Uh, it's a sad passage, isn't it? It's, it's a very tragic passage, yeah.